So generally speaking, a table has four legs. And if you have only one income stream, right? For instance, your salary, your table is supported on one leg. But if you start investing and creating assets that work for you and you become wealthy, then you build in those other legs to have better support of your life, ultimately. Hi, I am Sophie Vaux, and this is the Rise and Play podcast. In the show, I sit down with influential thought leaders of the gaming industry to deconstruct how they create the best team and company cultures in order to create the best games. Every episode brings actionable insight to improve your leadership, self-awareness, and emotional management skills. Because becoming a better leader starts with becoming a better human. So, are you ready to unlock your full potential in life and business? Let's begin. This episode has been brought to you by our sponsor, Appadeal, an all-in-one growth platform for mobile app creators of any size. While you have probably heard about Appadeal as a mediation solution, it has already expanded into much more than that. Appadeal unlocks access to a new generation of advanced business intelligence tools, including LTV forecasting, user acquisition and creative automation, and of course, the mediation platform that can work out of the box or be managed manually. Being one of the very few independent platforms left in the market, Appadeal delivers unbiased solutions for mobile app creators to establish and scale their businesses rapidly. Sign up at appadeal.com. So today I'm very, very psyched to have with me Marcela Barrera. Before we start, let me tell you more about Marcela. Marcela is the founder of Investors Abroad, a platform for international women to talk about money, finances, and investing. Since two years, she has empowered and supported women living in Europe to build strong financial futures by becoming investors. Marcela has over the past four years educated herself on topics such as financial literacy, financial freedom, passive income streams, stock market, and real estate investing. She is now an investor, financial coach, and business founder. Her mission is to challenge the lack of financial literacy by giving her clients actionable resources and education to improve their money management, financial confidence, return on investments, and therefore overall happiness. And one thing I like a lot about her bio, which I find unusual but quite bold, her dream is to retire by 55 with at least 3 million euro net worth. Hi, Marcella. Thank you, Sophie. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be here today. So with no big surprises, I guess you know what we're going to talk about today. Absolutely, exactly. <laughs> Favorite topic. Yes. So I invite you today, Marcela, to debunk money misconceptions and what we believe about money that may not be true or outdated with what we think we know or what we've learned from the past. So let's begin more with where we are in the present. I have, of course, my own knowledge of finance that I had to teach a lot also for myself over recent years. But you know much more as well where what is the gap these days. And do you have a sense a bit of what is the knowledge and the gap we have these days about financial literacy and especially your focus for supporting women to develop the financial literacy and investing for themselves? Yes, exactly. There are many different misconceptions out there that women believe to be truth. 
but actually are not. So when we talk about the whole spectrum of money, investing, generally speaking, what kind of stands up is fear. And I think the only way to going through that fear and understanding more the topic of money and investing is really looking into how do I educate myself? Because without financial education, fear is always going to be there. Fear in terms of what is going to happen about my retirement. So I'm going to be retiring with enough money. And we know, for instance, nowadays that in countries like Germany, super developed countries and economies, but we still, as women, have a lot of different issues when it comes to the gender pay gap. And of course, there's going to be a pension gap affecting directly what we're going to get from the government as a pension in old age. And something that is important is to become financially literate so that you can then take action towards what can I start doing today with my current financial situation so that it's going to be having an impact into your future self and your finances. So many points to reflect on and let's take a pause here to also understand the context. And I'll share here as well some part of my own experience and journey. I think that wealth in general hasn't been a topic that we thought of as women in the past. There were more financial dependence on the partner. So when you start also to be independent professionally and generate income for yourself and take care of your own expenses and your life, I think then this becomes more clear that there's some knowledge missing. Yes, absolutely. 100%. Either women or men even get this financial education from school, from their families, from society or friends. But especially women are conditioned for that history that we share about. There's an article where they say it's been 2022 years that women haven't talked about money. And it's just oh, like the oh whole <laughs> period of time. And I thought, how interesting, because actually... If we look at our parents and mothers specifically, perhaps being dependent and, you know, it's not only that financial dependency on somebody else, but what that all comes with, right? So it's about, I didn't work, so I don't feel like I developed myself personally. And also, I think it has a lot to do with self-care, self-love. And because money is 100% emotional, it really has an impact also in your overall happiness and well-being. So it is an important topic. And because we don't have this knowledge and education from schools, family or society, then it comes to a point that we got out in life, we get a job, get income, and we just don't know what to do with that. I'm earning some money and base case scenario, you're saving. That's kind of where financial journey of most women end. And it's not how it should be, but we don't know better. I could learn a little bit from my father, but as much as he could give. But he didn't have experience, of course, of a generation where women would be financially independent. And so we didn't have this conversation of how to manage money. And I can say part of a misbelief for a long time, I thought savings was a way to, you know, use the money, right? So it stays there and you save for the bad days. And my parents, you know, have a background as immigrants. So there's always the fear that everything can be taken away. And so you are relying on your savings. And it's really by conversation. And I have to say, I learned a lot from men, even ex-partners who pushed me to think differently of finances and challenging me by saying like, well, you are losing money by leaving it there because just by inflation, you are not generating yielding, you know. And when I started to think about this, like, oh my God, this is overwhelming and this is depressing. It's like, so I have to do everything now. What can I do? And I started really to think about it maybe 
five years ago and it was a long process. So I hated any topic around finance. I felt really dumb actually on the topic, you know, that it's very technical. I don't understand the jargon. It's complex. It gives me headache. I was trying to stay away from it and thought I don't need it until the pain was so big that I had to learn and I had to change my mindset about it. But I think when you are at a point that you are proficient in other areas of life, like it's doing well professionally, you're an adult, you've progressed. It is hard to admit it and then start, you know, like baby steps, like how can I learn and start somewhere because if you don't start then you think it's impossible to be at the level of understanding and proficiency as men in my network for example absolutely truth exactly yeah I love that story and I can say you know me working with many different women specifically immigrant international expats I can say that perhaps 99% of the women we all shared the same story about I was fearful when I started I didn't know I had to start I have no idea that investing was part of my financial life. I just thought I just saved the money, which is actually the first big misconception. By saving money, you're not building wealth. It's just not working, right? So it's really understanding how it works and how the whole system functions is essential. And then when they realize it is important to look at the topic, first this resistance. I feel pain because I don't know and it's scary and I don't want to start. Or I really need that support either for partners or, you know, a coach, a mentor who kind of guides me through the process and takes me by the hand and shows me this is not impossible. You know, I have done it. You can do it too. And I think that's very empowering to know you're not alone in this because otherwise it could feel a very daunting task. Giving visibility on the work you're doing, it makes it more normalized. Like you're not alone because we start to talk about it. And then when you feel a sense of belonging with an issue you have, I feel supported because I'm not the only one and I'm not like less inferior. It is just more systemic like education, as we discussed. We are, of course, living in a capitalist system. There have been overuse of it and you can see like the things happen on Wall Street and the recession. And it creates kind of a certain negative, dark image of money and being rich is not such a nice purpose to have. So for a long time, I convinced myself that I don't need money and I don't want to be rich because the day I'll be rich, I'll be someone else. I'll become the person I don't want to be at the people who become greedy and like really chase money. And in this book, Psychology of Money, it was not so much about being rich, but building wealth. And that's quite a difference between being rich and being wealthy. Yes, of course. And I love that topic because my journey definitely started because of a book. And when we talk about the difference between being wealthy or being rich, I think it comes down to your mindset. You know, like, how do you feel about those words that makes a difference for yourself, right? Because if we don't look into the roots, it's going to be very difficult to make further decisions about what do I invest into? I'm still fearful about this. And then you discover, for instance, what you just shared, I was afraid or I didn't like this idea of becoming rich. I didn't want to become greedy. Specifically, I think women, we also share that concept of money is not everything in life. I don't want to be greedy. When we talk about wealth, we talk about building assets that work for you. You really want to start seeing money in a way that it will support you best in whatever your life goes about. So I like to give this example about you know a table. So generally speaking, a table has four legs. And if you have only 
one income stream, right? For instance, your salary, your table is supported on one leg. But if you start investing and creating assets that work for you and you become wealthy, then you're building those other legs to have better support of your life, ultimately. The concept of wealth really becomes to financial security and independence, but not really that richness, negatively side of things. And I think whoever you are, it doesn't matter how much money you will get because you will just be more of what you are already, right? So if you're a wonderful you know, human being, helpful, stable, in peace, you're going to be like that with 100 euros as with 100 million euros. That doesn't change. It's your essence. And if somebody is greedy, you know, a difficult person, he will be the same or she will be the same with 100 euros or a million euros. I think that's very liberating to hear this kind of statement because they are very fear-based. Some of the fears run really deep that prevent us to even go further into even trying. That was really revealing in the psychology of money. It's like how we feel about money actually is more of a topic of conversation than, you know, money as money because we all have a different relationship to it. And I'm very purpose-driven in the things I do. And I realized over years and recent years, and that's why I started investing, it is a tool to get closer to my mission, what I care about. Like for me, supporting the ecosystem, the gaming industry, development of diverse teams, talents, ideas. And from the moment I saw it as a tool and opportunity to use it really to help others and develop others, it changed completely my relationship to it as well. So having a clearer vision of where I wanted to go, like allow myself to think further and then to see, well, what could money and in that sense, wealth support me to get further in this mission? Absolutely. I love that. Like the clarity about the mission, where am I going? And then how money as a tool supports me to be that path. And something also that I really liked from the book was a feeling of regret because we spend so many things sometimes with money and then we regret how we spend it. And so this is a question I run for myself sometimes, like if I don't spend on it, will I regret? And if I spend on this thing, will I regret? That was another way of thinking of spending is you buy yourself a peace of mind because you don't want to think about the problem. So sometimes I will go through all the trouble to go from point A to B in Berlin and it will take my hour and it will stress me. I don't know, with the rain we had today, taking different transport and so on, very crowded and I may be late for my appointment or I take an Uber. And Uber, of course, in my mind is more expensive and instead of like transport 5 euro, Uber 20 euro. But when I think about what is worth of my time and my energy to get to this appointment to be in a good state of mind, this is a completely different relationship. For example, it's another way of application of a psychology of money. It's like, how do I value my peace of mind? And how do I want to spend my time and energy? And how money is supporting this? Sometimes I took like being cheap in a way where you think you're saving money, but you're taking a trade-off somewhere else. Yes. <laughs> I have had everything in terms of, you know, women who make, I don't know, 5,000 euros a month net and they cannot save anything. So they just spend it all. Mm. And also women who make 2,000 euros a month net and they save 70% of their salary. And I'm always very surprised because by heart, I'm a saver. Like, you know, do I allow myself to take the Uber? No, I just go with the public transport, you know. So it has changed dramatically because both scenarios, extreme, I don't save anything or I save it all, are not healthy, both of them. 
and it comes to money mindset because in both scenarios there is fear. Fear to spend, to not have security. What will other people say about me? I'm too cheap. I don't want to have that identification. I think the book, The Psychology of Money that you mentioned, I also read it. I remember when I was in Mexico last year and it was like my book to go. And exactly, he talks about regrets. How do I establish a plan that feels comfortable for me? So when I work with clients, we talk about a system that allows them to spend in things that they really love and value called value spending. For instance, if my peace of mind, this is very important for me, I'm gonna treat myself to that because I deserve it and because I also have this overview of my finances knowing that I'm having certain amount of money monthly for those treats, but also I'm investing my money and I'm also covering my needs and I have some money to give or contribute or whatever is important for the person because we're all different. And when you have all areas covered, you 100% will feel much more confident and kind of good about yourself going into the Uber or treating yourself to an expensive bottle of wine or going into an expensive uh, holiday because you know that your financial life is balance. And that's why it's, it's important to have that system, I think, that you feel less, let's say, scared or you feel less guilty when it comes to spending the money and also reflect into what are those expenses that are not really bringing joy to my life and why I'm spending into those, right? So sometimes we go into this spending where there is no really a reason behind. And that's why it could be that you can just change and say, I stop having the morning coffee because it doesn't really bring me joy. It's just a habit I've built for 10 years. But actually those 300 euros a month that I save, I will just, you know, use it for Uber or whatever it is. Reassessing your priorities and translating them properly into how you spend your money. I think it's also some exercise I've probably done more in coaching to reveal my priorities of life and how I spend the money and are they really reflecting the priorities that I think I should have and sometimes not always because you have those habits, exactly. Exactly, yeah. And the vision you mentioned. I think, you know, to have that clear vision of life and your priorities and how you feel best is, is paramount, is super important. Mm -hmm. And we talked also about assets and I want to mention another book that you recommended me and I read it and I, I have to say I loved it as well. Like so many key learnings, references, and very applicable in life, uh, rich dad, poor dad. And I think the big thing for me was difference between assets and liabilities. Yes, of course. So one definition I love is that an asset is something that puts money in your pocket and a liability is something that takes money out of your pocket. For instance, if you have a car, it could be an asset, but it could be a liability. But for instance, how is a car an asset? How it puts money in your pocket? When your car was bought by money from your business. So it's an asset to the business because with your car, you go visit your clients or you deliver the bread. You know, there is a cash flow. And that's why the car is seen as an asset. But then if you look at your private car, then it might be a liability because the car is actually taking money out of your pocket for gas and taxes instead of actually giving you cash flow coming into your pocket. Another example would be a house. And I think in the book, Robert Kiyosaki mentions that if it is your home, it's a liability because it's not bringing you money in your pockets. Is it? No, because you actually live in the place. So actually it does not produce any cash flow. Of course, 
when you have paid it off and you know every month you pay back to your mortgage if you had a mortgage you're building your network you're building your wealth and a tiny little bit of that house is becoming an asset but it's not fully an asset until you have it repaid fully but if you see a house as an investment more as an asset from day first like first day then you might see it as an investment property not as your dream home but as an investment in a property who actually is working for you. And because it works for you, it puts money in your pocket. So for instance, if you have tenants, then those tenants are going to be the ones paying back the mortgage to the bank instead of you from your pocket. Or in the best case scenario, those tenants pay back the mortgage and you get some passive income because the mortgage is less expensive than what they pay for the rent. There might be sometimes a fine line between what are the differences Whenever it's a big kind of investment, you could say, is this an asset? Is this bringing money into my pocket? Or is this a liability? And I'm actually just spending money. I don't think this is a concept we think so much often of where just given a belief that buying a house is an asset, right? And without thinking about what do you do with it. It's not to say that you cannot live without liabilities, but if you live only with liabilities, then... It's not an anti-fragile situation to, you know, economic situations where you don't have something that produces this money. Uh, I read that once from a Navi Ravikant, a great investor, like, how do you make money while you sleep? I know it's quite a bold statement and similar type of statement in the book as well. Like, do you work for money or is money working for you? And that was a very powerful but very uncomfortable question because when you know that you are working more for money, like, you know, you have a job and you work to have money, then you ask yourself what a situation could look like when money works for me. And I would like to hear your thoughts here. It's sometimes putting money in learning when you buy yourself an education or you build a company or you invest in a new business, you learn so much and you are the value your own asset at the end of the day, right? So... You create knowledge and you create value, of course, it's not that tangible, but you create new opportunities of money, whatever you will do with your skills or what you learn. Yes, absolutely. 100% truth. I think you are your best investment because if you invest in yourself, it can only get you good results, right? So for instance, as you said, building your skills is, of course, intangible value, but it's huge value and nobody can take that away from you. You know, a house... Something could happen, it could be flipped away, the stock market fluctuates. Of course, in the long term, normally generates really good results. But what is intangible, nobody can take away from you. And it's really, I think, real power that you as a human being have. And I think really education and investing in yourself is kind of like the driver behind you questioning, having new ideas, going into different environments and growing ultimately. Yeah broadening the definition of money and the opportunities of it, how could we get started when, okay, there's a realization that there's a gap in finances? So how do you start the conversation with clients that are zero financial literacy and it's overwhelming? Where to begin? What are the priorities? So I think something very important is to, first of all, make them aware that there is an issue behind piling up the money because as soon as they are not aware, they don't know they have to change something. When you have the awareness, then of course it's lying up a plan. So generally speaking, how it will work is that I meet for 30 minutes and then we just looked into where she is at the moment and draw a plan together so that 
single steps and action steps are going to be the ones specifically for that person. And then very briefly, we start by money mindset, which is the foundation of that, the root of whatever you're going to build in the future, which of course is a long time journey, but it still is important to wipe up some misconceptions as we're talking today as well. And then we come to the whole topic of how you're managing your money. And then we looked more into the knowledge transfer of how capitalism works. What is the stock market? What are assets, liabilities? Because without that knowledge, then you cannot take next steps. And then we come to the more based on your situation, what are going to be the best investment arenas you can move on? That's the ultimate goal that women at the end of any process, they start investing their money. And it's interesting in the order of things. One could think that you go right away in tactic and then, okay, put your money here and put X percent and so on. But I see like a big part of the work you do is really spending the time to remove the blockers and then you can execute the plan. And then more concretely as well in the different type of investments, real estate is a form of investment. And of course, you can invest in a way that it's an asset or like more for your own wealth where you live in your own place and don't pay for rent, although it can have its own advantages for flexibility, investing in other financial assets. And I don't know if there's other ways that you encourage women to do that are kind of accessible, part of a different type of investment and assets. I'm a financial coach, so I'm all about education, and therefore I cannot give financial advice as such, right? So I never will tell somebody, go and invest your money into this. I'm not allowed. And of course, I think the power relies where women can take their own financial decisions and they are not dependent on anybody, not even an advisor. But of course, exactly as you said, and there are many different types of investments. This idea of a house and then you have the ceiling, that's your financial goal. To build the house, you need some pillars because without those pillars, you cannot build the ceiling, you cannot get there. So let's say your goal is to retire at 55, as my goal is with a 3 million euros. And so you need to build those pillars to get to that goal. And so those are vehicles in form of investments to get there. So for instance, there are three or four main types of, so the first one is the stock market. So through the stock market, investing companies through stocks or other different financial instruments, one that I love the most is exchange-traded funds, ETFs. You can, of course, have it as a vehicle, a first pillar to start building your wealth. Then we have real estate, as you talked briefly about it. It's also the second pillar. And then we have your own businesses. That's also a vehicle to grow your wealth. And finally, you can also invest in other people's businesses with a specific side of capital, become an angel investor or just venture capitalist, whatever the range is. And then, of course, each one of those vehicles have different levels of risks, but there is always risks involved. So that's why education is so important to understand what are the decisions I'm making, what are the risks and opportunities. And having that clear panorama of what are my options, then work on a plan and implement it. That's a very good uh, framework and give some structure as well, possible direction. And so on some of them as well, where I took some steps in the journey to share as well as a personal experience. And again, I think it comes from a very strong resistance for a long, long time. I've been renting, living in different places in Berlin and Finland. And my dad, of course, like believing a lot in real estate was asking me, when are you going to be an owner? Like a milestone in life, you know? And yes. for me, the resistance was really a form of commitment. Like, of course, I had some cash flow, 
But I was afraid to invest in this, so I could not invest in something else. I think where my resistance was like, what if I want to build a business, but I was not building a business. So I was a little stuck. Again, psychologically, I felt like, okay, so far by renting, I know it's more expensive, but I bought myself some flexibility to figure out where I want to be and live. And I just want this to feel right if I decide to buy. So it was more psychological. And then when I made the decision, I really committed And also something that revealed quite a lot was through a, a broker where I didn't know even my potential of the type of apartment I could buy. And so when we had those conversation and lining up the facts, I was completely off where, again, own belief, I thought I could afford like 50% less than what I could buy. So reassessing once in a while those things has helped a lot. And something quite big as well that you mentioned is investing in other companies. And for me, the decision has been mostly related to my personal mission to invest in others. And if I have this money and I invest in people I really believe and I believe that they are creating something of value in the future or where the world is going, it will pay back. But that's not the first motivation. Of course, I try to invest in good businesses and teams but I'm not investing to get rich. I think that's a big difference. And when I found my own reasons for this, it felt right of how I spend money. So back to, are you aligned in your values with how you spend money? And the last part is building your own business, which as well has been a big game changer where I've built my own platform, Rise and Play, mm -hmm. and I build a company. So I incorporated it so I could put expenses and it goes through the company and It's an investment in myself, basically. So all the things I learn through it and all the things I develop are mine and they cannot be taken away by an employer, for example. It's not a side project. It's a legal entity and it's very powerful. So I really encourage as well building your own business, whether as an income stream in the future for you or just a business that creates value and it will monetize in some way if you want to. Is an asset that I find very empowering when you know you have that. It gives a lot of psychological security when you think of your full-time job. And the last part, you say stock market. And maybe to explain as well to your audience here, what's the difference between ETF compared to traditional stock market if I invest in a company like Apple or Google? Right. But I will definitely say ETFs, if we compare it with single stocks, like you choosing one company, ETFs are much safer So the risk is lower. So why is that? Because ETFs just save you the time, energy and distress to have to choose one or two or three companies, right? So you don't have to choose individually if you want to invest into Apple, Microsoft or Tesla. But with ETFs, which are a basket of stocks or assets, then you can have all of these three companies and many more into one place. So the effect of that is that you will have, of course, larger diversification, which means you're going to have less risk because if Apple is not doing great, Microsoft might go well, and therefore your portfolio is going to be much more imbalanced. No? You're not going to see those big drops in a single stock, like minus 50%, but actually perhaps minus 10, minus 20. And those ETFs in those baskets of stocks, they follow an index passively, And the index is actually that part that is built beforehand the ETF was built and that is containing those companies. So for instance, if we come to Germany, we have the DAX index. And in this index, we have the largest 40 German companies. So if you are to buy an ETF that is the DAX ETF that follows passively the DAX index, 
you are actually investing into those 40 companies as well. And therefore, you have by default, as I said, lower risk, you have larger diversification and ETFs are actually very low in terms of fees. So you don't have to pay for commissions of insurances or bankers because you can do it yourself and have that diversification, low risk and low fees in one place. Very well explained. I think like an observation from me from experience investing on ETF is like, do you believe in the direction of the market? So it's like, it's not a company that is growing, but where is the market going? And of course, when recently or after a war, you see a drop and it's like a, a global drop. And also the action is not to take action in those moments. And when, you know, things crash, just wait, be patient and expect for them to recover at some point. So it's more general market trends and not uh, be too reactive. Totally true. And I think it's also a very important point that when you invest into ETFs, you invest into the long term. So you invest 10, 20, 30 years because we go along with the market. And, you know, history has shown that for the last 100 years, the stock market with all ups and downs has always been growing 8 to 10% average a year. And that's the growth we want because there is something that is called compound interest. And that's the magic behind that 8% becoming much larger exponentially to the upside. If you invest, you know, on a regular basis, monthly, every three months or something, you can actually take advantage of those drops and you buy cheaper because then everything is on sale. Yeah, exactly. I read that once like buy when everyone else is not buying. That's right. That's the rule. But as you know, for the mind, it's a very difficult concept because there's a lot of fear out there. But it's exactly the time where you should take advantage because then everything is on sale. Yeah. Trusting the general market in the sense that it will grow and it's on a growing trend. I mean, if there is no growth, usually it's the death of businesses. So it will keep growing, but you have to invest in the long term and not think about it and not look at it on a daily basis and change your investment based on the trends. The opposite of this is like long-term investment. Yes, yeah, absolutely true. All right. We spoke so much about uh, money and I think there are so many things we can go really in depth. I think that we deserve for sure a second episode going more in depth of those concepts. But I hope as well for what we deconstructed today, quite a lot of helpful tools to get started. And I have some last question for you about There are so many things you can learn in finance, but what are the latest things that people you think may not know that we should look into more when we think about money management and money mindset? Yeah, I think the key is definitely to educate yourself. I think without education, of course, we cannot go anywhere. And for that, I would say books are a great tool, as we just talked today about two great books, The Psychology of Money or Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Because they open up your mind and they make you question things. Also, I think something that is important is to kind of mingle with different people. Because the thing is that our financial reality is pretty much the same as the reality of people we spend most time with. And therefore, it means that if you have the chance to go into different environments, talk to different people, you know, people who are not afraid to say, I want to have a million euros. Because at the beginning, that was hard for me. My mind was totally against it. And I thought, how interesting, right? That I'm not able to feel comfortable with that number. And when you start just mingling with people who are kind of in the same mindset, then things start changing. And today we shared a lot as well as a base for people to get started on this education part. And my last question is about your goal. Actually, 55, you say like 3 million net worth. 
3 million euro. Let's be specific here on the currency because these days, you <laughs> it know... It can make a big change, a big difference. <laughs> yeah, you may want to have it in dollars. <laughs> How do you see this happening concretely and what are like some concrete goals that you want to set for yourself to get there? Because I'm pretty sure you made also this vision based on concrete goals that you want to achieve in the next 5, 10, 20 years. Yes, exactly. So it was funny because, you know, I had this construct or framework about like my financial goal is to be retired at, at 55. And then I said like the vehicles. So I started with real estate, the stock market, and I didn't have any businesses at that time five years ago. But then for the real estate vehicle, the idea is that, you know, I will have at least like 10 properties working for me, not as my own home. So I already got two. Wow, congratulations. Exactly. Thank you. And of course, the idea is to have 10. So if I hit 10, of course, you know, the net worth of the property will definitely go up. And just the monthly income, which is also something exciting that we didn't talk about today, but passive income is very exciting, of course. And that's kind of, you know, on the real estate side. So I'm delaying my dream of my own home, which will be in the Mexican Riviera and Maya, the Caribbean side. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure you have it and way before you're 55. Exactly. <laughs> I'm really, you know, envisioning it now. I, I loved it, that place. And I really want to have my home there. But, you know, first I want to build the properties kind of working for me. And then the other side is stock market. And for that goal of early retirement, I'm fully investing into ETFs only. And just with compound interest and with the projections, you see you can hit like one or two million euros. So that's part of it. And two years ago, I started my own business, which was one of the last kind of pillar. And, you know, it's doing really well because, as you said, Sophie, for me, it's been the most fast forward track program ever in terms of growth. You really need to grow and develop yourself and, you know, polish your skills if you want to have a business in a way. I mean, it's definitely been my experience, which is really good, but sometimes, of course, challenging. And I'm still looking into investing into businesses. So I haven't come to that yet, but it's on the radar. Very impressive. And you are an example that it's not just a dream you're building. It's a dream with a vision, you know, and it has a plan and it has a trajectory. And it sounds to me like you will get there maybe even before. So very concrete and very inspiring. For the listeners who are not here, like I'm sitting with here Marcela today and she's adorable. Uh, we both live in Berlin and you wouldn't think of like this woman walking on Wall Street making money. But that's, I think, uh, here the misconception and belief. Like you could be all this person from the moment you change your mindset and whatever you want to achieve. If you want to have your house by the Caribbean Sea, build the dream for it and then you can start to build around it and you have an example of it so great I feel very grateful to have you today and with what you shared and like I said it might not be the last episode that we record to talk about this fascinating topic thank you Sophie yeah it was my pleasure to be here and you're definitely also super inspiring and thank you for having me I really enjoy it thank you Marcela take care bye Thanks for listening to this latest episode of the Rise and Play podcast. I am trying to grow a community of conscious leaders across the industry and beyond. So if you want to join this movement, please share the podcast with other conscious leaders because we have so much more we can learn from each other. Also, please don't forget to follow the show so you don't miss out on future content. Every episode is packed with actionable insights that will help you improve your leadership skills now. And if you are interested in learning more on the topics that we discussed today, you can find more insights on riseandplay.io 
And there you will also find my free masterclass on conscious leadership. So have a great week and until the next time.